0: Welcome to another episode of A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm Brad Alexander, your host and resident beggar who found bread and just wants to let other beggars know where I found it. The bread of life, Messiah, Yeshua, Christ, Jesus. This episode, Worlds Collide. It's a great tune by one of my all-time favorite bands, 12 Stones. They're a really underrated band, and I encourage you, check them out, 12 Stones. Their latest album is called Picture Perfect, but they got lots of good stuff over the years. Really good band, underrated, as I say. Check them out, 12 Stones. As always, though, the episode and the podcast, it's not about the music. It's about much more. So what happens when our worlds collide, when the traditions of man conflict with the Word of God? I think we know the answer to that, and it might be easier said than done. But there's probably no better place to look than to start with looking at holidays, celebrations, and festivals. So that's where we're going to go. And I want to take a look at three feasts this time. I want to take a look at a tale of three feasts, if you will, because right now many people are preparing to celebrate Easter. And what I'd like to do is take a look at the celebrations that are in the scriptures, the biblical feasts God's people are called to observe. Now, there are seven that are spelled out in Leviticus 23, and they're called Feasts of the Lord. They are for the children of Adonai, Jew and grafted in Gentile. They all point to Messiah, Jesus. All of the feasts have historical importance. They have present-day relevance and future significance. Each one, again, pointing to Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Christ. The three we're going to focus on right now, because of the timing, are Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits. These three occur in an eight day period of the first month of the year on the Hebrew calendar. The primary focus is on Passover, but unleavened bread and first fruits work perfectly in conjunction, as one should expect, because God put all of this together. So there should be no surprises as to how these things work so well together starting from the beginning and working throughout history. They all go hand in hand. So let's start with Passover. Now, we should note that over the centuries, many traditions have been added to this remembrance and this feast. For the purposes of this podcast, I really want to stick with the simple instructions of Scripture. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 12. We'll start at verse 1. We'll go through verse 14. So, Exodus 12. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household." Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw, Or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. So, we see what God is doing after nine attempts by Moses to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go from Egypt, and Pharaoh continues to refuse, the Lord is preparing to bring the final plague on the land. The firstborn in all the land will be struck down. God's people are to take a lamb into their house on the 10th day of the first month of the year. And on the 14th day, they will take that lamb out and slaughter it and roast it, taking some of the blood putting it on the doorposts and lintel, that's the top of the doorframe, to mark their homes as God's people. It's an act of obedience, and it's an act of faith that death would pass over them. The historical importance of this remembrance, this celebration, is plain to see. To have a yearly reminder of how God delivered his people, death passes over them. And then they are set free to head to the promised land. So it is important that it never be forgotten. In modern times, we use the saying, never forget, for various historical events. Things that happened even even during our time. We say it referring to September 11th, 2001. People say, never forget that day. Never forget what happened. And we say it certainly regarding the Holocaust never forget. These are significant events in history. God has called his people to remember the works of his hands, how it is he who sets people free, recalling his work of deliverance and redemption. We certainly should not forget the past evils of man so as not to allow history to repeat itself. But how much more important that we remember the faithfulness of God through terrible times. Celebrating the Passover even has in it elements of the bitterness that they endured being enslaved by the Egyptians. But the primary focus, again, is deliverance by the hand of the living God. How this remembrance points to Messiah Jesus, I believe, most modern-day churches acknowledge to some degree. They get some of the picture, and they share that. Of course, he is referred to in the New Testament as the Lamb of God. So, that connection is made, but typically, it doesn't go much beyond that. And I'd like to take a deeper look at the simple truths found in this Feast of the Lord. So if we go back to the start, even if we go back before the start, as Revelation declares, Jesus is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth. This lets us know that, that the crucifixion of Messiah was not a backup plan. This was part of the Father's plan from the beginning and from before our beginning. So, just outside of Bethlehem is... The Megdal Eder, the Tower of the Flock. Now, this is an area where sacrificial lambs were specifically kept, um, including Passover lambs. It was on the road through Bethlehem, which led to Jerusalem, wherein temple sacrifices were offered. Interesting point about the Tower of the Flock. Micah prophesied an amazing prophecy in Micah chapter 4 and verse 8. As for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Powerful stuff from Micah, from that prophecy. We know that Jesus is referred to as the seed of woman, as he had no earthly father, as we look at this messianic prophecy. Now, the Tower of the Flock, the ruins of it were actually discovered in 1899. So from the top of the tower, shepherds could keep kind of a bird's eye view of their sheep and the lambs. On the first floor of the tower was an area for lambing. It's where the ewes that were ready to give birth were brought. They're separated from the flock to deliver lambs. Now, having myself raised sheep growing up, I'm familiar with this concept. We had a lambing pen where we would bring the ewes to give birth so the lambs wouldn't be exposed to the elements and so forth. At the tower of the flock, the lambs were inspected at birth in this first floor area. They would be inspected when they were born, and those that were born without spot or blemish, particularly the firstborn males, were wrapped in strips of cloth from old priestly garments, and then they were placed in mangers for protection. So Joseph and Mary passed through this area, Mary carrying the Lamb of God in her womb on the way to Bethlehem. These shepherds who watched over these special lambs were the first ones called by an angel of God to go witness the birth of the promised Messiah, God's Lamb. Now, Mary, a daughter of Jerusalem, has been separated. She's been set apart in basically what amounts to a cave. She gives birth and wraps the firstborn male, the unblemished Lamb of God, in strips of cloth and places him in a manger. So these shepherds find him. As the angel told them, he would be found wrapped in cloths in a manger. What an amazing picture. And the shepherds who tend the sacrificial lambs, they tend the Passover lambs. They see what's going on here and they bow in reverence, seeing what God is doing in fulfilling his word. So what do we see in Exodus 12 about the Passover lamb? Well, it's selected. And it is brought into the household from the 10th of the first month to the 14th of that same month. And that is when it would be slain, on the 14th day. In John 12, we see six days before Passover, Messiah shares a meal with Lazarus and his family. The Lazarus whom Messiah raised from the dead. He has a meal with that family. The next day, it says which would be five days before Passover, or the ninth of that month, Yeshua heads into Jerusalem. He would spend the next days in the household of God's children, among God's people in the household of God's children, Jerusalem. And on the 14th day of the month, he, as the Passover lamb of God, would be slain. Sacrifices were to be certified, if you will, validated by the Levitical priests. They had to be inspected and validated. Otherwise, people could just bring in any of their flock. They could bring in a three-legged blind sheep and just say, "Well, I'd rather rather give this one up than any of my good, you know, my good stock." So, uh, yeah, I'm going to offer up this one. Can't do that. Supposed to give God our best, and so. They would be validated, the priests would inspect the offerings and the sacrifices. So, what we see in Matthew 26, starting at verse 57, the Lamb of God is being inspected by the high priest Caiaphas. Now, this high priest falsely claims finding a blemish or a fault in Messiah. One thing that's really important that we recognize Caiaphas was not a Levitical priest. He was not of the line of Aaron, as is required of a Levitical priest. Caiaphas and Annas before him were basically Roman government shills. They were put in place by Roman leaders not so much to fulfill priestly duties as much as to keep political order. But even in that... When Caiaphas sentences Yeshua, the Lamb of God, to death, he unwittingly approved the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb of God. But still, one of the line of Aaron is supposed to inspect sacrifices in fulfilling the requirements. And that didn't happen in this place. But did it happen? I submit to you that, yes, it did happen. One of the line of Aaron did, in fact, inspect, validate, certify the Passover Lamb of God, John the Baptist. We read in Luke 1 that John's father, Zechariah, was a Levitical priest. That's his father. Also, his mother, Elizabeth, she was of the line of Aaron. And then what do we read in John 1 concerning John the Baptist? Verse 29, the next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John of the line of Aaron identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God. And again, in verse 36, he declares it once more. Jesus is the Lamb of God. See, God fulfills the most minute of details as Yeshua even declared, not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away and that he came to fulfill God's law, Torah. So the lamb has been inspected and it spends the days from the 10th of the month, starting in that first month, he spends those days in the household of God's children in Jerusalem. And then on the 14th day of the month, the day of preparation, the lamb is to be slain. We have to recognize that description of the 14th day, the day of preparation. It's important that we hang on to that because that is the day preparing for the Passover meal, but it's also preparing for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that's the day that leaven, yeast, is removed from houses, the houses of God's people. Leaven is used multiple times in scriptures as compared with sin. We can study and see that Messiah took upon himself the sin, leaven, if you will, of the world in his crucifixion. This also, again, This day is the day that the lamb is to be slain and the blood applied to the doorframe, the lintel and doorposts, that death would pass over. This is the day of preparation. So on the day of preparation, we see the blood of the Passover lamb of God as he is slain spread on a wooden frame, the crucifix the doorpost and lintel between earth and heaven, between the temporary and the eternal. Remember this, Yeshua declared himself as the door. John ten seven. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He is the door to the Father. And that execution stake, that cross, is the doorframe upon which the blood of the Lamb of God is splattered, that death would pass over all who repent and put their faith in God through Messiah Yeshua. Can we see what God has done? Also, we see in Luke 23, it was at the ninth hour on the day of preparation that Messiah died. This was the same hour, three o'clock in the afternoon to us, that the slaying of Passover lambs began. The eating of the Passover meal occurs after the sun sets on the 14th day, which begins the 15th day of the month. Hebrew days go from sunset to sunset. So, when the sun sets on the 14th day, the 15th starts, and that is a commanded Sabbath. It's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is why there was such urgency to find a tomb, a place to bury Yeshua before that high Sabbath began. Now, thinking back to Exodus 12, the Passover meal eaten after the sunset, it had three simple items, the lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. I believe we clearly see Yeshua as the Lamb. Also, it is plainly obvious that he represents the unleavened bread, as he refers to himself as the bread of life. And if you weren't aware, Bethlehem, where he was born, the definition of the name of that town, Bethlehem, house of bread. So, we know that he lived without sin, that is, without leaven. He is the unleavened bread of life. So, we have the lamb of God, we have the Passover lamb, and we have the unleavened bread. But what about the bitter herbs? Where are those? I'm so glad you asked. At the end of John 19, as Joseph of Arimathea requested the body of Yeshua, Nicodemus also came and he brought with him myrrh and aloe, which were placed in the cloths that would be wrapped around Messiah's body. Truly bitter herbs wrapped around the body of Messiah as he was being put into a tomb. God doesn't miss a thing. One question that that will arise as you go through studying these things is, since Messiah was clearly crucified on the day of preparation, and the Passover meal was eaten after sunset, was the last supper Jesus shared with his disciples the Passover? And that is a fantastic question. It's an important one, too, and it is very important to study it through. And it deserves an in-depth look. The short answer is no, it was not the Passover meal. But there is much more to that answer and much more that needs to be discussed. And that will be for another time, God willing, another episode. Right now, we're going to continue on here. I believe Scripture has established, and history also, that Messiah is certainly the Passover. He is the Lamb of God. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Unleavened Bread, which is also called the Bread of Affliction, is to commemorate when God's children left Egypt. They left hastily, and God commanded them, Take no leaven." Take only unleavened bread with you. And again, leaven being seen as a picture of sin. And in this case, additionally, the sin of Egypt. Leave it behind. Move forward in obedience to Adonai Elohim, the Lord your God. So leaving it behind and moving forward. We have established through the scriptures that Messiah is in fact the unleavened bread of life. Now, the first day of this feast is a Sabbath, Shabbat. It is a day of rest, not the weekly Saturday Sabbath, but a Sabbath of its own, regardless of the day of the week it falls on. The day after the day of preparation is a day of rest. It is a Sabbath. It's the first day of the feast of unleavened bread. The modern Western understanding of this has caused confusion, which is where the idea of Good Friday comes from, partially. See, where it says in the Gospels um, they were preparing for the Sabbath, many misunderstand this to mean that it was the weekly Sabbath, the Saturday Sabbath. But what it's referring to is the Sabbath at the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, It is a high Sabbath. Messiah said that he would spend three days and nights in the heart of the earth as Jonah spent three days and nights in the belly of the fish. A Friday crucifixion would not accomplish three days and nights with Messiah's resurrection being on the first day of the week, Sunday. This is something that we must face face. And when we talk about worlds colliding, right? When scripture contradicts the traditions of man, we must reject and defy the traditions of man. Otherwise, the traditions of, if we stick to the traditions of man, We are then in defiance of God's Word. We are in rejection of God's Word being beholden to the traditions of man. We can't do that. So, sorry, not sorry, Good Friday does not pass the test of Scripture. And this topic, too, requires and deserves more study and discussion of its own, just like like the Last Supper question. But for now, and again, perhaps, God willing, on another episode, we can cover that. But for now, let's get back to these feasts. Back to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Messiah stated, He is the true bread from heaven. He is the bread of life. And anyone who eats of the bread of life will never hunger again. Only He satisfies the true hunger of humanity. That is the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the focus of it. And again, Messiah fulfills that feast. The third feast in this eight-day period is firstfruits. It is a celebration of the early harvest as life springs forth. God brings forth bread from the earth. He brings forth the fruit of the vine. And so, this is a celebration of that. A firstfruits offering is made on this day and that is the giving of the first part of the harvest the early harvest to thank God for bringing forth provision this is also an act of faith because God's people are giving what they received first and so it is an act of faith as i'm i'm giving now to God what what he has provided trusting that he will continue to provide in the harvest now I believe we see a very clear picture of Messiah in first fruits because this celebration and offering happens on the first day of the week, Sunday, following the weekly Sabbath, Saturday, after the Passover and start of unleavened bread the following Sunday, the first day of the week is first fruits, so let me try and. Untangle that knot a little bit for you. The day of preparation, Jesus, Messiah, the Lamb of God, is slain. That evening, the Passover meal is eaten. That's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a Sabbath. Then will come the weekly Sabbath after the Feast of Unleavened, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then Will come that Saturday Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, and on the first day of the week following that Sabbath, Sunday, Messiah is raised from the dead. The first fruits. Look what First Corinthians five twenty, the Apostle Paul says. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Messiah fulfills the first fruits, and he fills it on the day that is often called. Easter, but it is first fruits. It's a celebration that is in the scriptures. First fruits. And Messiah is the first fruits. Let's stick to the scriptures. Let's stick to God's word. Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, as he is the fulfillment of all the biblical feasts. They all point to him. So we see the historical importance of these feasts. We see the present day relevance as they each point to Messiah Yeshua and he fulfills. Of Passover and of unleavened bread, the Apostle Paul says, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed therefore let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth christ is our passover and then we see in first peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 peter knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. In John chapter six, starting at verse 32, we read, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And again, as we just read in 1 Corinthians 5.20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. We see the history. We see the present-day application of these feasts. And as to the future, what we know is eternal death will pass over those who have the blood of the Lamb of God, Messiah Yeshua, on the doorposts and lintel of their heart, following Messiah into the eternal promised land, where the leaven of sin will be forever removed, and we will celebrate the first fruits of the harvest of souls brought forth by God through Messiah Yeshua. These three feasts clearly point to and are fulfilled by Messiah Yeshua. And the question that comes to me so often is, why does the modern church seemingly ignore these celebrations from Scripture that all point to Messiah and we give them up for these man-made traditions? why? The fathers of the faith observed these feasts. And not only did Jesus fulfill these feasts, but he observed them also. And we're supposed to follow him. He is our example. He observed these feasts. The disciples and the apostles also honored these feasts. Oh yeah. And God commanded them for his people so again, I can't figure out why the church, followers of Messiah, would ignore them for superficial traditions of man. We must look at God's word. And when our worlds collide again, when scripture collides with the traditions of man, we must yield to scripture and let the traditions of man go as difficult as it can be, because there's sentimental value there, but we have to let it go. And I assure you this, when we do so, when we let them go and we dig in and cling to and adhere to God's word, there is such a richness and depth in these feasts. It's amazing. It's, it's again, as I've said before, it's like having scales removed from your eyes. It is so amazing. And it's right here in Scripture. It's not man-made. It's not bought at a store. It is right in the Word of God. And I hope that we have eyes to see each of these feasts of the Lord speak to the past, present, and future, and why they should be celebrated and recognized and honored. These feasts are for yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13:8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Messiah Jesus is in these feasts of the Lord yesterday, today and forever. Hallelujah. And my prayer is that he will fulfill them in your life. Dig into these amazing feasts and start to recognize, have your eyes opened to what God has done, the truth that is in his word. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time. I'm Brad, and I'm a beggar who found bread. And I just want to share where I found this bread. I want others to dig in and partake of the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua. God has clearly put things forth in his word for his people. Dig in, study to show yourself approved of God. Thanks again for your time. Now, go out and give him heaven.